It's Muppeturgy with eh, an episode about the rich little episode of The Muppet Show. Yay? Meh. Welcome back, everyone. I'm David Levy, and I promise you that our episode today will be more fun than the episode we're talking about. The real low bar. Yeah, to join me in that promise today, we have... Christy Bauer. Yeah, da 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 I mean, Michal Richardson. And Adam Grossworth. Well, no use in delaying the inevitable. Adam, where are we? Hey, it's season two, episode four in production order of The Muppet Show. This episode was made the week of June 14th, 1977, and it aired in New York City on September 26th, 1977, Bafflingly, it was the second episode of the season to air. To introduce our guest star, that's what I'm here to do. So it really makes me happy to introduce to you. Happy is an overstatement, Kurtman, but we're going to go with it. Rich Little is a Canadian who somehow built an entire career out of doing impressions that I guess were good for an era when we didn't have instant access to recordings of the actual people. So maybe their voices were just a vague memory. I don't know. I think I speak for all of us here at Muppeturgy when I say we don't care for what he has to offer. He did them in front of the people that he was impersonating, like, a lot. We'll, yeah, we'll get I, to I it. I, I just, okay, it, yeah, go on. Do the bio. Anyway, Richard Carruthers Little was born November 26th, 1938 in Ottawa. He started doing impressions as a teenager, and for a while he had a double act with Jeff Scott, who would go on to be a Canadian member of Parliament. He refined his act, moving up from Shriners Clubs and Knights of Columbus Lodges in the suburbs to coffee houses in Toronto, while also landing a radio DJ job where he could further practice his impressions. In 1963, he released two comedy albums in Canada, one focused on Canadian politics, but the other was an adaptation of A Christmas Carol called Scrooge and the Stars, where he cast the story with different celebrities he impersonated. However, because he impersonated JFK as the ghost of Christmas present, the album had to be withdrawn in November when Kennedy was assassinated. <laughs> he would eventually adapt this concept for television in 1978. And there's a six minute version of it that he did on the Ed Sullivan show that you can hear on Spotify, which I will drop in the show notes for you if you're interested, which I can't imagine you are. Anyway, uh, the cancellation of this album did not prevent him from making his U.S. debut the next month at a venue owned by Guy Lombardo in Florida. His big break came the next month after that when he made his U.S. television debut on The Judy Garland Show. It just so happened that Garland's writing staff included a Canadian team known as Pepiat and Aylesworth, who had worked with Rich, and they got him the gig. They would continue to write for Rich and get him other variety show gigs, including The Jimmy Dean Show, where he likely first met Jim Henson. The rest of his career was basically a mix of variety show appearances and live performances. He was a regular on the Dean Martin Celebrity Roasts. He released nine comedy albums and three HBO specials, and he became a Las Vegas staple where you can still see him to this day. He returns to the Laugh Factory at the Tropicana on November 27th. Uh, some other tidbits from his career that I found amusing. On occasion, he has been called into service in Hollywood to loop dialogue for actors who, for whatever reason, were not able to speak their own lines, including for Gene Kelly in the 1991 TV special Christmas at the Movies which, given his performance as Gene Kelly in this episode, is particularly shocking. I imagine they didn't ask him to sing, just right. speak. But well, and still. also, like, looping often really stands out, even when the actual actor is doing it. So, uh, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if they were just like, whatever, it's fine. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he was a regular on the Johnny Carson show until 1982, when Carson banned him. Uh, Rich Little claimed that his impression of Johnny got under the host's skin, but it sounds like what really happened was that 
Carson got tired of Little doing the same set of oppressions over and over and over again, uh, which became a problem for Rich later in his career overall because, as he pointed out, contemporary celebrities are harder to imitate. What does an impression of Tom Cruise or Brad Pitt sound like? Presumably like Tom Cruise and Brad Pitt. <laughs> well, right, but like, they, I mean... I mean, I must have seen two dozen Tom Cruise movies, and I could not imagine what his voice sounds like. He doesn't have a particular... I mean, those particular examples. But like for the most part, we don't have celebrities with those kinds of voices. Okay. I guess. I, I, guess. I haven't thought about this, but I'm going to save it for the okay, end of the we'll, we'll get. I'm sure we'll yeah. circle back to this. In his personal life, he had a number of marriages as well as a handful of broken engagements. And I only mention this because one of the engagements to magician Melinda Sachs ended in acrimony with a sex tape scandal. Please tell me the sex tape involved impressions or magic or both. I did not look into the sex tape further than that because, again, not interested in any further exposure to Rich Little. Listeners, if you have seen the sex tape, do not want to watch it. I just want this information. Anyway, she claimed it was taped without her consent. He claimed that she had agreed to it. The lawsuit was settled out of court, so we don't know. But Did he show her a tape of her agreeing that was just him doing an impression of her? <laughs> <laughs> My God. <laughs> In 2017, he released his memoir, which I have not read, called Little by Little, People I Have Known and Been. Uh, as I mentioned, I, I think he actually is performing in New York like this week as we are recording. He will be in Vegas around the time that you hear this episode. How old is he? 82 if he was born in 1938. He he has a, or 83, he has a play, right? Doesn't he have like an off-Broadway show about Nixon? Something really sad about an 83-year-old doing Nixon, but you know. Oh, sure. I just mean like it's being sold as like an off-Broadway play about Nixon as opposed to a nightclub act, which... I actually find even sadder because no one's going to that. Um, <laughs> there's still a pandemic. I mean, theater's reopening. I'm really happy about it, but I'm not going with I that. Know, I, I mean, I imagine that these like Texas Republicans who are here beating up hostesses at Carmine's are the kind of people who would love to see. Rich I don't think they're Richard going Nixon. to an off Broadway play. That's period. Like, well, well our they know who Rich Little is, and they know who Richard Nixon is, and I will say this. I think that there is a generational thing happening here yes. that is beyond our comprehension. Because when I mentioned to my mom that we were recording this episode and that we were all dreading it and that we all hated him and were baffled by his very existence, she was baffled that we were not charmed by him. She was like, but he's great. And I'm like, have you seen this episode anytime recently? And she's like, well, no. So anyway, so I gave her the homework of watching and I, I will uh, update oh, you as back. to her response, but, but there was like that sort of like cloudy haze of like, but he was great in the seventies. And I just think. And that- I do remember Rich Little being around just everywhere. Right. We talked about this, right. The, the, the professional variety show guest or talk show guest. And, and, and I remember as a kid in the eighties, like being sort of charmed by Rich Little. And I think as a child, probably not recognizing that the impressions were not any good. <laughs> But they're really not. And there's also definitely like a, a just a cultural gap of watching this 40 years later that like some of the people he's doing impressions of honestly might be good. I don't know. Right. Because they're just so not current anymore. But it's also just not funny. I mean, there's um there's like a recurring bit on SNL the last few years where they do the just they, they it's like auditions for X 
just as an excuse for everyone to trot out their impressions of whoever auditioning for whatever the movie is. And, you know, people's opinions about SNL vary wildly, um, sometimes within a single episode. But, like, they're not great. Some of the impressions are really good. Some of them are terrible. But usually they're funny, to me, anyway. And and what that's the, I think the, the biggest sin for me of this Rich Little episode is that nothing he does is particularly funny on top of the impressions being egregiously bad should we should we get things started and get into it there <laughs> of like whether impressions are still a thing sure i'll get things started <laughs> <laughs> okay if you remove rich little from this episode it's fine i yeah. really loved the opening number i really dug miss piggy's music hall song and gonzo auditioning live chickens feels only surprising in that everybody's surprised that Gonzo is auditioning chickens, but it hasn't become a part of his character yet, and now it's about to, and it's fittingly weird and muppety, and there are live chickens on stage, and sure, and that's if you remove Rich Little, but there's so freaking much Rich Little. There's, uh, how did they get this much guest star time when, like, there were other guest stars where we wanted more guest star, and Rich Little is like, too much. How'd they do it? I, I will say my, my first viewing of this episode, I was just kind of bored and I just kind of tuned out the impressions and didn't bother to try to figure out the ones that weren't obvious to me. And then on the second viewing, I got angry and we'll talk about it. So yeah, could have done with a little less little. And I, I don't know, we were just saying maybe this is a, a generational thing. Maybe impressions were just funnier in the 70s when there was just less access to be able to look up a clip of, wait, what did Jimmy Stewart actually sound like? But at this point, are does anybody make a living doing impressions outside of SNL cold opens? And are the impressions that happen on SNL only funny because people are putting their own spin on it that, you know, the actor is bringing a little bit of themselves, making their impression a little weird or a strange spin on the the person they are impersonating. I I don't have an answer to this. I just know that I'm I was a little bit impressed by like okay, that's a good Groucho Marx, but everybody else like I okay, I guess people were entertained at the time. David, were you entertained at the, at the time? I, I was entertained as a child. I have vaguely positive memories of Rich Little, although I also realized this week that I think in my head I combined him with Robin Leach, uh who was What? The, well, <laughs> They have the same initials, and Robin Leach has such a bizarre voice that I'm pretty sure that at some point Rich Little probably did oh, for a, Robin, sure. a Robin Leach impersonation. I just sort of combined them in my memory into one person. I don't know. To Mikhail's question, there are people who make their livings as impressionists these days. I know, I don't know if he's still around, but on one of my trips to Vegas in the last 10 or 20 years, I definitely went to see Danny Gans, who is sort of like the king of oh, impressionism yeah, now. Uh, I didn't care for his show either. Um, and then there's, of course, also uh, this sort of subset of female impressionism, uh, which is often, you know, drag queens. But that that's a big deal, right? Like, there's uh, certainly, like, that's what Snatch Game is on, on RuPaul, right? I don't watch RuPaul, but that's my impression of what Snatch Game is. And, like, there's also, you know, whole Vegas reviews, like Legends in Concert, which is just uh, people impersonating... You know, and as I'm saying this, I think Legends in Concert is drag queen. It, yeah, it is. Okay, I was like, but it could also just be... Cover bands like, and soundalikes. 
Right. Like it could be women dressed up like Sharon. Like at some point you don't know the difference, right? Like, so, so it is a thing. Uh, So I don't know. Yeah. But it's not my thing. I think that's what it comes down to. It's a thing. It's not my thing. That said, uh, although I didn't care for any of like the straightforward impressions stuff, I enjoyed the music in this episode, including the ones where Rich Little sang. I appreciated that there's a different director working on this episode than we've seen for most of the episodes before. This is his second episode, and he did interesting things with the camera work. We see Muppets from different angles than we've ever seen before. We get a lot of Muppet legs and torsos that we've never seen before. Um, so it kept me interested, even when this is definitely in my like bottom five Muppet Show episodes. Christy? So this has nothing to do with anything, but as a person with a given name that for other people is a nickname, I'm fascinated by the like politics of nicknames and like thinking about how, you know, someone becomes a Rob instead of a Bob. And so for a split second, I started thinking about that uh, vis-a-vis Rich Little. And then I realized that the alternative was Dick Little. (laughs) (laughs) And we're back on the sex tape. (laughs) So I I just had to throw that out there. Um, Yeah, I hated this episode on first watch. (laughs) Just had the worst time. But it it sort of grew on me uh, rewatching. You know, if you just focus on the Muppet-centric parts of it, I think there's quite a bit to love here. You know, the non-Rich Little numbers are all fun, and there, there are redeeming glimmers in the one with him. And... You know, I just sort of felt like the Muppets in this episode were like a, a cute Starbucks in a bad part of town. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, I'm not going to rush back to it anytime soon. But, you know, if I find myself there, I'm, I'm not going to be completely mad. I actually think I like this episode better than the Peter Ustinov episode, which so so far is the low watermark for me. Just because I, I feel like Peter Ustinov was like stooping to the Muppets level or something. And, you know, Rich Little's fairly game. He's just not on their level. So better luck next time. He was reaching up to try to get to the Muppets level. Yes. Scrambling from the basement. Yeah. I, I just hate it. I, and I, you know, we've talked about like various levels of memory of the show. And I, this is one that I remember from when I got, the DVD set in whatever year that was, 2006, seven. Like, I remember how much I hated it then and thinking like, Oh, I remember liking Rich Little as a kid. Oh no. And I, I have not watched it. I had not watched it since. And I, I, I stand by my loathing and I don't really like the other parts either. I hate all these songs, not singing in the rain who could hate singing in the rain. It's great, but I hate most of these songs and I guess I like Vets Hospital and I guess I like Gonzo. I mean, I will have some nice things to say as we go, but like on the whole, <laughs> do not care for it <laughs> at all. And like, I just find Rich Little so like smarmy, like he's not charming and he's not funny and the impressions are bad. Like what, what is he bringing to the table? Connections. Connections. I mean, like, that's, his career is, is like, failing up because he had the right friends in the room at the right time. Like that, yeah. that's what I took away from, from his biography, right? Like it's that he's got these friends who were writers who managed to like get him into the right rooms and just kept getting him into other rooms. I guess. I mean, I watched a couple clips and there's like a clip of him. Like he was, he's being interviewed on like a morning news thing. And like the, the anchor is losing her mind. 
right? Like she's just like, cause like she's interviewing all these people at once. And I don't, I, whatever. He must've been more charming in person. Was Mildred the anchor? No, it was. A, it was no, this was a professional yeah. journalist. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> let's move on. 45 seconds of curtain, Mr. Little. Ah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So that was the sound of a W.C. Fields impression, or at least that's what Scooter informed us. What's happening here is that Scooter is trying to knock on the dressing room door and get Rich Little uh, ready for the show. And every time Rich Little emerges, he's doing a different impression. And Scooter says, W.C. Fields, but where's Rich Little? Or Humphrey Bogart, but where's Rich Little? Uh, And it's a good thing he's telling us for the most part. And then Mean Mama uh, comes out speaking with Jerry Nelson's voice. Um, and I guess we're supposed to assume or, you know, go there for the joke that as, assuming that it's Rich Little impersonating a Muppet monster. But do you think this would have been a more enjoyable episode if every time Rich Little impersonated a Muppet, it was that Muppet and everybody just pretended that it was Rich Little being like, oh, that's a great fuzzy Bear. And it's just Fozzie. <laughs> It'd be very meta. I would have preferred it if like, Rich Little moved his lips, but Frank Oz's voice came out. Right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, puppeteering Rich Little. I I approve. This is one of those, like, I, I have to just cut out some slack for the, the fact that it's old. Like, I, I don't know that I've ever actually heard WC Field, Field speak, as opposed to hearing a million WC Fields impressions. I don't know if this is any good or not. <laughs> Maybe. It wasn't. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I'll take your word for it. At the end of this little bit, Scooter says to the audience, Rich Little does impressions of everybody, which feels like both a defense and a threat. (laughs) (laughs) He'll come for you, too. (laughs) He's still alive. He might. He might listen to this episode. Oh, God. (laughs) I'm sure he's seen the articles saying that this is the worst Muppet Show episode and knows to stay away from stuff like this. Or, you know, or he doesn't care about the one time that he did the Muppet Show in the 70s. Wait, are there such articles? And can we link to them in the show notes? It must be on Tough Pigs. There must be something. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. There, these exist. Pressing on. <laughs> I don't think we have any updates from our yay correspondent because this guy got no yays. I do appreciate Kermit calling this another half hour of whatever this is, which is <laughs> in reference accurate. to the show or in reference to impressions or perhaps both. All of it. Yeah. Get a nice little Statler and Waldorf opening. I've seen enough. Let's leave. <laughs> Me too, fellas. <laughs> I think I've already played that three times tonight, but you know what? It's appropriate. Yeah, I don't remember if we were recording for those, so here we are. And Gonzo's trumpet joke is cute. This long yellow balloon just unfurls out of the trumpet, uh, which I enjoyed. Speaking of Gonzo. It's a really good sound, too. Yeah. Like, I don't, whatever. I, I really believed that, that, that Gonzo's trumpet was making that sound. That there it was a real some, trumpet really blowing a balloon. It was very nicely done. There's some really fun sounds in this episode. I, I have that as a note to mention at some point, so I'll just say it here. During At the Dance, an animal gets uh, exploded out of the room. There's this fun, and there's like a, a gratuitous, like it, this is not the sound that happens when Piggy karate chops people, but when she and Rich Little karate chop each other, there are all these like springy, boingy sounds that happen. Like, I guess the sound designers were just trying to find their own entertainment. So that's fine. None of those sounds are made by Rich Little. It's true. (laughs) Yeah, Muppet Joe backstage. Okay, so backstage, we've got Gonzo putting his new eyelid mechanism to good use. He is auditioning not Muppet chickens, but live chickens on stage with the Muppets because he's trying to put together a dancing chicken act. And 
to us, a chicken act sounds like this should be standard gonzo fare and nothing to get excited about. But this was uh, the first time anybody had heard of gonzo and chickens together. And the the Muppet Wiki has a quote from Dave Gold speaking in the book of Muppets and Men about the the moment of this episode, uh, where he says, I had Gonzo ad lib a line that was, I think, important for my understanding of his character. He'd been auditioning chickens for the show, dancing chickens, and they were all terrible. And at the end of a scene, I had him turn to the camera and say, nice legs, though. Something gelled right there. It told me something about him. And you see his eyes go wide, too. And this is not the quote, but uh, you get to watch his eyelid mechanism at work when he is impressed by these live chickens uh he's he's in he's into it okay uh don't call us we'll call you (laughs) nice legs though (laughs) yeah it's cute um and gonzo really feels a lot more like himself in this episode than he has before kermit however is skeptical a dancing chicken act gonzo i've never heard of anything as ridiculous as a dancing chicken how about a talking frog? <laughs> Don't be wise, Gonzo. Well, look, I advertised for dancing chickens in the paper. So the minute they show up, just send them back to the prop room, okay? Yeah. Thank you. Sure, send the chickens to the prop room. Add in a paper. Chickens can't read. Frogs, yes, but chickens never. The joke is the juxtaposition of these live chickens on stage who, you know, Gonzo is hoping that they'll be able to dance and he asks anybody with Broadway experience to step forward. But it's just chickens like strutting around and not caring. And even when Gonzo finally gets his act on stage, by the way, he gets his act on because of a cancellation from, first they say Nureyev, um, and they clarify not Rudolf Nureyev with a train seal act. This is Adolf Nureyev, uh, who has a train seal act. And Adolf Nureyev gets his own page on the Muppet Wiki. So God bless the Muppet Wiki. And, and Rudolf Nureyev is a guest star later in the season. Yeah. So right? yes. yeah, it is a good joke, right? Because it's the, the 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 chicken act is not classy enough. But so it's Nureyev, but then it's a train seal act. I don't know. I just it, it builds really nicely. I'm, I'm explaining the joke, which is a terrible thing to do. But, you know, <laughs> yeah, you my it. only complaint is that Kermit's like so incredulous at the idea of performing chickens but season one was full of performing chickens now granted yeah, they're they were in the opening chickens not dancing chickens but it just i mean come on kermit well and there is this weird thing between like i, I don't want to go too deep into this but the difference between a real animal and a muppet animal because there seems to be one like i'm not sure because like, they have acknowledged in the past that they are puppets and they'll establish that camilla can like read the newspaper i think right so i don't know it just it's it's an interesting thing it's sort of like the goofy Pluto paradigm. <laughs> right, right. But it's it's complicated by Muppy. It is. <laughs> Though I don't think Muppies are Muppies a Muppet. I understand that sometimes Muppy is not a Muppet. I know what you're saying, but like that's just a camera trick. I don't think we're ever meant to believe that Muppy's not a Muppet. But Muppy is a Muppet dog, like a a house pet. That's Mr. Rolf. Dog. Right, right. 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 Who is also sometimes portrayed by a real actual living dog it's right. just very confusing so muppy is actually also the is literally the pluto goofy problem like muppy mm-hmm. and rolf are analogous to, okay i don't want to my brain hurts <laughs> now i want to see that series of shorts where rolf is doing the goofy thing speaking of my brain hurting there's a shot in this scene a the the mask that fozzy wore last week to hide um from milton burl is in the background in the backstage scene which i love but then when the chicken enters, and obviously I understand why this has to happen, the perspective shifts completely because the chicken is on the actual floor. And so Kermit either spends all of his time like standing on a ladder behind the desk 
or suddenly shrinks dramatically because he has a scene with the chicken. And so the whole perspective of the backstage changes so that Kermit can be in a scene with the chicken on the actual floor. And it, it sort of drives me insane. I kind of like that. They, they went the route of doing some gymnastics with the camera and the perspective rather than just like placing the chickens on a wall for the whole episode. Yeah. And it doesn't bother me in the, in the scene in the prop room where it's a whole different set and sort of everything is just arranged differently, but to go from actually seeing Kermit where we normally see Kermit on the set where we normally see Kermit in the same scene. And it just cuts to this weirdo angle. Whereas I didn't notice that at all, but in the prop room, it bothered the fuck out of me because we see Gonzo sitting on like a little drum, I think with his little legs sticking out, but the legs don't look long enough for the rest of his body. And so I just spent the whole time being weirded out by that. I thought that was adorable. Like his little, they're like scrunched up. Like his, his knees are bent. They are, they are cute little legs, but for anybody who's not watching this episode, there's a scene in the prop room where Gonzo is auditioning chickens who are strutting around and being chickens. And so that you can show them on the floor, his, there's a full body shot of Gonzo and his legs are cute, but also it's harder for him to be Gonzo when he can only just kind of move his torso back and forth and not manipulate his arms either, because usually the puppeteering for Gonzo has a lot of use of arms and he's extending his arms out uh, to express himself frequently, but not here because I guess, you know, at the height where this puppet is, you wouldn't be able to stick your other hand up and be at his knee level. Is this making sense? Well, I think it's also that there's just not a space for the rod to come through. Yeah. Yeah. That I would have rather had the chicken sit in a, on a wall. Yeah. So all of this does eventually culminate in an onstage performance, uh, but we will get to that shortly. The moment Mihal has been looking forward to all week has arrived. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> our, our opening number is delightful. relishing this so much he's bopping around on the rhythm um before he explodes stuff it's great yeah i i genuinely love this so this is a chanson d'amour which is a song from 1958 it was written by a guy named wayne shanklin who was an early collaborator of the sherman brothers of disney fame and also had been a collaborator with uh their dad al sherman who was a tin pan alley songwriter and he has one of the most entertaining Wikipedia pages I have read in a very, very long time. I, I do believe he might actually be his own grandpa. Listen to this. It, it says he married Grace Baston in 1934. They had five children, Carolyn, Barbara Faye, Darlene May, Pamela Judith, and Wayne Shanklin Jr. Wayne and Grace divorced in 1942. Later that same year, he married Gloria Hansen. They had four children, Helen, Martha, Timothy Michael, and Thorne Scott Shanklin. Wayne and Gloria divorced... On August 31st, 1960, in 1960, there was a record of Wayne marrying a Trudy Hancock. He married his longtime secretary, Victoria Helen Hamway, on January 25th, 1965. On August 31st, 1965, his youngest boy of many children, Edward Windsor Shanklin, was born. 
Some sources state that Shanklin and Miss Tony Fisher were married at some point, but no record of the marriage is known to exist. Fisher's daughter, Chris Miller, later married Shanklin's son, Timothy Michael Shanklin. They had one known child. Wayne Shanklin died June 16, 1970, from a heart attack in Orange County, California. He was survived by his many children, wife Vicky, ex-wives, and common-law wives. My goodness. Okay, so I've been diagramming this while you've been talking. And it's that, so his his wife's daughter married his son so so they were step siblings in love so wait now i'm trying to get to the only i mean we don't have to try no, to get no to one is grandpa. anybody's grandpa I no. mean, he's, he is the grandpa of their child but you know he just has some bonus grandchildren i think i've lost the thread i tried to diagram yeah. it but it's all too convoluted anyway that's the guy who wrote this song and the song had had two different moments in the hit parade. Uh, the first was with dueling versions in 1958. One was by a cabaret duo from the West Coast named Art and Dottie Todd, and the other was by a girl group named the Fontaine Sisters. But the song really had a big moment in, in 1977 internationally with a version by the Manhattan Transfer. And this version went to number one in the UK in March of 1977. So it makes perfect sense that it would appear at this point because I just have this image of everybody in the Muppet workshop, just walking around going under their breath because it's all they're hearing on the radio. I love that image of just every Muppet in the Muppet workshop. Just every time somebody puts on a Muppet, that Muppet has to say. Am I the only one of us who went through a big Manhattan transfer phase when he was a teenager? Yes. Yes. <laughs> I did not know this song outside of any Muppet context and was shocked to learn that that part was in it all the time because it seems so Muppety. Like, it seems so natural when Crazy Harry does it. Yeah. Yeah, it seems so natural and it seems like, like I, I am glad that we've played the Manhattan transfer version because I thought maybe this was just kind of the, the common callback that people sang along and but it couldn't have possibly been in the recording like a sweet caroline kind of thing but now it's in there crazy harry's just doing his bit yeah no one of the alternate titles in the ascap database is actually ra-da-da-da-da song oh lord (laughs) i don't love this the way you all do but i do want to shout out the whatnots uh the singers are adorable and i just because they they sing facing the camera so much i this is going to sound weird, but I know I noticed that they all have different shaped mouths, which is just like not always true of of this type of Muppet. And it, it just really stood out because they're singing in unison and they all look different. And it was striking to me as a bit of puppet craft or whatever. And I really like that about it. And I paid more attention to that than to the song or the explosions. Also, all three are uh, Louise Gold, I found out. Um, because I noticed that they sing with extremely British accents. <laughs> hmm. So I was like, who who is doing this? It's like, oh, an actually British person. I love that on the second time I watched it, I noticed that you can tell what's going to blow up next because 
uh, obviously there's like a camera edit every time something blows up so that they can remove the set piece of whatever it is that blew up. And then the next thing will like kind of vibrate because it is, it now has a puppeteer's hand on it, ready to take it away. <laughs> uh, it, it was most noticeable the the tree that's sort of upstage left. I was just watching the puppeteering. So I, I kept meaning to pay attention to the, the scenery, but I just, all three of these singers were just, hamming it up and trying to like you could see that they were trying to distract from the exploding scenery by just trying to up the cheesiness level a little bit more every time it's it's delightful oh what they miss oh nothing they just bombed again our uk spot this week takes us to the music hall we haven't got a penny so we'll live on love and kisses and be just as happy as the birds on the tree. Join in, everyone! Boy, I love is up in the gallery. The boy I love is loving now and Take it, Peggy! There he is, can't you see? The waving of his handkerchief. Merry as a robin that sings on a tree. Everybody! See, if you just focus on these two numbers, there's a lot to love in this episode. Well, mm-hmm. if you focus on the Muppets that are alive. It's true. It's it's true that there are a lot of dead Muppets and semi-dead Muppets. Uh, Brewster is there, uh, and he's sort of like awkwardly moving from side to side, but not singing. <laughs> yeah, it's lovely to have an audience shot with all these Muppets singing along, except it's also an audience shot where some of the Muppets are not able to because they they have moved them all to the back and I can't decide if that's better or worse because it's the entire back row now. Like they used to much of the next row too. Yeah. They used to be scattered and now it's like, Oh, that's just a lot. It's like a whole wall of non-movement. And and Droop is dead right in the middle. And that (laughs) hurts. There has to be a better solution. I like, I understand why it's happening, but that said, this is a really fun number. It's okay. <laughs> the, song grew, the song grew on me. I know it's not like I'm Music Hall is not anyone's favorite. Yeah, well, it's some people's favorite, but it's none of our favorite. <laughs> yeah. Sure. So, yeah, so uh, the, the song's from 1885. Shout out to the public domain. Uh, it was written by a, a guy named George Ware, who was a songwriter who also curiously worked as a booking agent for P.T. Barnum. And uh, one of his earliest songs, so he he was in the sort of music hall world and decided to become a songwriter. One of his earliest songs was called uh, The Whole Hog or None. So (laughs) missed opportunity (laughs) or not. I I couldn't actually find the song. I went looking for it. And yeah, I just found the title. But it was written originally for a music hall star named Nellie Power. And uh, was popularized by a, a different music hall star named Marie Lloyd, who uh, is, is another one of those people, sort of like uh, Ella Shields, uh, the Burlington Birdie star that we talked about that we were also intrigued by, H- has a, a wildlife that's worth reading about. And she also, like Ella Shields, performed up until the end and collapsed on stage, but presumably didn't like rewrite the song you know the boy in the gallery is about to watch me die or whatever um (laughs) the boy who would have married me where yeah i i I find this absolutely delightful and also it's worth noting that we get some interesting uh camera work in this we get to see full body shots of piggy on stage and a moving camera that like pans across the stage and 
also some dynamics between Miss Piggy and the audience. Waldorf is the first person who's waving his handkerchief before they show the entire audience. Well, of course he is. (laughs) So I guess they're all going to marry Miss Piggy. And I like that she does this little mugging for the camera when she says, we'll live on love and kisses. She's, She's very dedicated to this song. I do love those shots of the theater. Like we get these wide shots and and her standing there. It is, I, I know some people are creeped out by Muppet legs and, and I am not, but I am, I do notice that they don't, they can't move, right? When the full body shots, like their feet are attached to the floor. And so like they're weirdly immobile, even though we're seeing their whole bodies, which is, and I was very aware of that in this number, um, as David was with Gonzo in the prop room. Um, but he's sitting down for that, so it bothered me less. But uh, but her dress is gorgeous, and like we get to see the whole proscenium and these wide shots. That part is very cool to me. We've seen Piggy's bottom half before, but yeah. there's something about because she's wearing a floor-length skirt, and also because we're we're seeing her from this angle shot from above that like again it's not that her proportions seemed off it just there was something about it that felt unfamiliar like it wasn't quite it didn't quite feel like miss piggy's body as we've come to know it which is also just because again like this is not the original miss piggy puppet but it's still uh you know a couple designs off from what i think of as like the classic miss piggy look and I think that isn't just about her face, but also about her proportions. I think she looks fantastic. And her hats in this episode are my favorite Muppet of the week. She's got a great hat here. She's going to wear a great hat for the medley later with even more feathers from every which way. I She looks fantastic in this episode. Agreed. So speaking of things that seem like they could only exist in a Muppety context. Yes, that's a real song. (laughs) (laughs) It's just barely a performance of that song. Right, right. Like I asked on our Slack if we were going to cover it as a song and David was like, obviously it's Glowworm. And I was like, I know it's Glowworm, but like, whatever. (laughs) Tell us about the song, Christy. I I will. Uh, It's not, not just Glowworm. Uh, It was originally uh, Das Glowwormchen. Gesundheit. From a 1902 operetta version of Lizestrada by uh, Paul Linke. Well, that was, was unexpected. Yeah. <laughs> the the Lysistrata connection I did not see coming. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and I hope that goes into a review of our podcast somehow. The Lysistrata <laughs> connection I did not see coming. <laughs> Someday we'll find it. <laughs> the Lysistrata connection. <laughs> the would-be lovers. <laughs> <laughs> Das Glühwürmchen and me. It's a, it's a song that uh, has sort of become a, a jazz standard and partially because it got rewritten lyrics later on by Johnny Mercer, who I feel like if we had a Muppeturgy drinking game, Johnny Mercer would be a good... Uh, He'd be center square. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> he comes up a lot. Um, not that we're hearing his lyrics now. I just was like, oh, Johnny Mercer, there he is. Again. Let's hear some of his lyrics. Shine little glowworm, glimmer, glimmer. Shine little glowworm, glimmer, glimmer. Lead us less too far, we wonder. 
Love's sweet voice is calling yonder. Shine, little glower, glimmer, glimmer. Hey there, don't get dimmer, dimmer. Light the path below above and lead us on to love. It's also worth mentioning that they're not all his lyrics. He did a revision of uh, the original English translation, which was done by Lilla Cayley Robinson in the early 20th century for a 1907 Broadway show called The Girl Behind the Counter. So this is one of those classic Muppet sketches that they had done many, many versions of over the years, going all the way back to, I believe, Salmon Friends. Uh, and in, I think every other version than this one, it's Kermit instead of this Lenny the Lizard character. Part of me feels like by this point, Kermit is like sort of too established as who he is to like make sense in this setting, except that I think they would still have at least one more performance of it with Kermit on the Johnny Carson show to come. So eating worms. Yeah. So we'll, we'll put links to a couple of them, if not more in the show notes for you to watch. But I think that this is one of those sketches where, um, I sort of prefer some of the earlier iterations of it where it's like a little bit less refined, but also more spontaneous and surprising. Whereas this uh, feels like a, a little, I don't know, a little too smoothed out. It's a little ornate too. Like there are a lot more features on the lizard puppet than there are on Kermit. There are a lot of features in the set. It's this lovely Ivy covered wall that he's sitting on. It feels very. Ungapachka. Yeah. Do we need to translate the word ungapachka for people whose parents didn't say ungapachka to them? It wouldn't hurt, but, you know, I can live in the mystery. It's fine. It's it's a little overly ornate. A little overdone. I also thought that, uh, at least in the very bright color of NHD television, the place where, like, the worm becomes Gorgon Heap's nose felt, like, very visible. Fully about to fall off, yeah. Right. (laughs) I also, this is the stupidest thing. Like, is the lead up that he's eating a bunch of worms or that the same worm keeps getting away and coming back? I think he, I think it's he the eats worm two worms and, and then back. the third worm. Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> oh, I guess we have different. Well, <laughs> different I mean, it's, oh, okay. it's hard to tell because like, I mean, obviously the puppet can't actually eat the worm, but like, it's just, it's slightly confusing. No, I think Michal's right. I uh, think. Well, uh, I missed your your interpretation of this text, David. <laughs> what did you say? I said that I thought that like he he goes to eat the worm and is unsuccessful and gets away, and he keeps trying. But I think you're right that it's he successfully eats two worms and then unsuccessfully attempts to eat Gorgon Heat. Yeah, worm number one is good. Worm number two is good. Worm number three is a monster who eats. Gotcha. It. I understood that worm number three is not the same as worms number one and two. I just weren't sure if worms one and two were the same as each other. They look very satisfied to have eaten the first two worms. That's true. I like that lizard puppet. Yeah. I just found it dull. And I actually find this, the way that he sings the song really annoying. And I, I did not like it. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I really encourage you to watch one of the early ones, like one of the black and white ones. And I, I think you will appreciate it more. It did feel a little long. It made me wonder like, how long is this going on? So I timed it and it's just a couple of minutes, but it feels longer. And I think I've, my point of reference for this sketch is just having seen a clip of it in Muppet clip shows. So they, you know, they only show the climax, like he's just finished eating worm number two and then worm number three is a monster. And that's, 
really all you need. You don't need all two minutes of this to get the joke. Right. Like Gonzo's chicken act in which literally nothing happens is much more entertaining and about the same length, probably. Yeah. Well, but rule of threes, you know? It's true. Speaking of Gonzo's chicken act. We promised we would talk about the song that the, the chicken dances to question mark yeah it's it's t for two uh which is the quintessential soft shoe number um it's a song originally from the musical no no nanette that has uh music by vincent humans and lyrics by irving caesar it's from 1924 and the thing that i find note about this is that vincent humans is a reference in you're the top so there's kind of a weird Hmm. circular thing happening there you know, circle with a circle, wheel within a wheel. Hey, well, come on, Lolita, dance. <laughs> she makes it look easy, don't she? Da 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 da. da. <laughs> well, no more of that. So, what I love about this number, other than everything, is that. There are flashes to the audience, and now the audience is all chickens. <laughs> and it includes at least one famous Muppet chicken, who I'm not sure we've seen on The Muppet Show before, which is TR from The Muppet Musicians of Bremen, which was one of the pre-Muppet Show specials that Jim Henson had done for TV. Which, uh, by the way, not very good. I rewatched it uh, recently, but when I was little, I had like the um, book on tape, although I think it was actually a record book thing, where, you know... it have that little chime to turn the page uh, of the Muppets Musician of Bremen. So has a place in my heart, even though it probably doesn't deserve it. <laughs> There's a chicken in the opening that I keep drawing my eye. Cause I can't, I can't tell if she's wearing a dress or if the puppeteer has her up too high <laughs> and I'm seeing like arm, but like it definitely like it goes from white to black. She's on the top, right. Or top left, stage right, sorry, stage right range. So on the top left um, of the arches as the sign comes down. And well, remember, it, we did see chickens in evening gowns in the very first episode. Yeah, I think it's one of those. Um, but I just it's you know, it's in that it's in that wide shot. So it's you know, she's she's small. I can't you can't get a good look at her. Anyway, I am really distracted in this by so there's a leash around the chicken's neck that is attached to Gonzo's useless arm <laughs> and i'm just like what would happen like it's a real chicken <laughs> like I, I guess chickens can't really move that fast but they can can't they like i think chickens can actually move pretty fast it's like the question with the with the puppy a couple weeks ago and whether it was drugged like if that chicken well, actually you can train chickens can't you i don't know not this one apparently it can't dance if that chicken actually like did anything it's not like Gonzo or Dave Goals has the ability to do anything about it. <laughs> I was like very distracted. Also, it's just like tied around the chicken's neck, which seems like a bad thing for the chicken. If it did try to do anything, I found the leash very distracting. If you do go to Vegas to see Rich Little at Tropicana, I believe that is also the casino where you can play tic-tac-toe against a real life chicken. I don't know if that chicken is trained to do it or simply uh, there's only nine so places many. that could possibly yeah. peck anyway. So, All right. Next trip to Vegas. I will do one of those things. <laughs> that great Gonzo is pretty good. Good? Why he's got him laying in the aisle? You know, we we've made it this far. 
We've barely talked about Rich Little. <laughs> We've barely talked about Rich Little, but it's been great, hasn't it? It has been, but I I am duty bound to inform you that the the fun shall now cease. <laughs> so we get a medley. Mercifully, it is not as long as Ethel Merman's medley. <laughs> it is th- it is three songs full of uh, I- impressions of wildly varying quality. The first one is a war crime. I'm laughing at clouds so dark up above. The sun's in my heart, and I'm ready for love. Singing in the rain. I just like shouting that in determinate moments. (laughs) Singing in the rain. Uh. (laughs) Oh no, we've lost Christy. Uh, yeah, uh, so that that's what this song is. It's uh, from 1929. Uh, you probably know it from uh, the 1952 movie, Sing in the Rain! Uh, <laughs> uh, but it has lyrics by Arthur Freed uh, and music by Nacio Herb Brown. Singing in the Rain, the movie, uh, is a jukebox musical of songs by those two gentlemen. Arthur Freed was a terrible person. I don't recommend reading about him. Oh, Yeah, yeah, like the louis ck of his time and i'll leave it at that wow uh, no. yeah uh but it's a great movie though it's a great <laughs> it's it's, it's my, my favorite movie of all time uh and i i like to focus on comden and green who were the writers of said movie who took this so so the the whole premise of that movie was arthur freed later in his career after being a songwriter was a movie producer and he went to comden and green and was like Hey, I have all of these songs. Make them into a movie. And they did. And it's the best movie of all time. <laughs> I have all these songs. You've got Gene Kelly's butt. Put them together. Good songs. Great butt. Can't lose. <laughs> <laughs> I highly recommend the Tumblr Gene Kelly's butt. If anybody in our listening audience is somehow not already familiar with Gene Kelly's butt.tumblr.com. It's one of the happiest corners of the internet. <laughs> Yeah, so uh, Rich Little's Gene Kelly is terrible. We sort of promised ourselves in advance that we were not going to sit and rate all of his impressions, but I take deep, deep umbrage at his Gene Kelly, and I just have to say that. But I do enjoy Fozzie getting to sing the song. I just wouldn't have to sing it with someone else. And then, and I'm actually getting this from our, our notes document, Winston Churchill and John Wayne are also in this song, which I, I didn't actually know that and that's i mean that's partly the age thing okay like i would never have picked out winston churchill even if it's the best winston churchill ever but what why it's like going on the great movie ride after a root canal yeah (laughs) 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 like just why i don't understand I, i just need to say that rich little recorded at least one whole album of this sort of thing where he took standards and sang them and just changed character every couple lines. This was the, the one rich little album I tried to listen to and did not make it past like the second voice. Uh, It's on Spotify. If you want to torture yourself or your enemies, like I could, I could see a joke of having Winston Churchill sing a song. I don't know what that song would be, but like there is a joke there somewhere. I don't understand this joke. You know how every so often somebody will like make a video of themselves doing a Muppet impression and do they know that like because you're a Muppet guy like oh Michal wants to hear this I'll send her this thing because like she's a Muppet person. (sighs) Do you hear like Winston Churchill guys 
who like <laughs> would have to get notified every time Rich Little like freaking sang singing in the rain as Winston Churchill. It's like, oh, I got to alert my Churchill friend. I think we should move forward, though, because the other parts of this medley were significantly better than this part. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, the the middle in particular is actually the one part where I was like, oh, these impressions are actually good. Yeah. So let's hear that. All right. I have heard among this clan what called the forgotten man. Well, did you ever... What a swell party this is. Sing it, Bing. Have you heard about Dick Blanche? No. Got run down by an avalanche. <laughs> well, did you ever? What a swell party this is. Have you heard <laughs> Professor Munch? Yes, I believe he ate his wife and divorced his love. It's a really good Bing Crosby. It's a really good Bing Crosby and a pretty decent noted Joe Raposo, Stan Frank Sinatra. There you go. I'm really depressed that this is the closest that we have to him actually making an appearance on the show. Oh, God. Let's not think about it for too long. Well, at least he's, you know, on a really fun set with Kermit in a really cute tux. Doing a very cute dance. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, this is the the one part of this entire episode with Rich Little that I genuinely loved. Was that a, was there a third one at the end there, or was that just Bing Crosby again? Oh, it's just Bing Crosby. Oh, okay. again, I think. Yeah, I'm not. I'm uh, not well the, he ate his Bing wife Crosby. and divorced his lunch. Yeah, that was Bing Crosby. All right. Yeah. So this uh, is a "Well Did You Eva," which is a Cole Porter song from "Dewberry Was a Lady," and if that title sounds familiar to you, that was the Ethel Merman show involving roofies and time travel. Yeah, it was. Sure. Yeah. Um, but the song was also used in a movie called High Society that starred Frank Sinatra and Bing Crosby. So, yeah, I I have no complaints with this one tiny little corner of this episode. I, I find it very charming. And mostly just I love the idea of Kermit singing this song with the original people. So I'm able to suspend disbelief a little bit and just imagine how cute that would be. A universe where Frank Sinatra and Bing Crosby and Kermit all sing together. Yeah. 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 So two connections. One, there's a great cover of this song that Iggy Pop and Debbie Harry did. Uh, We'll put the music video in the show notes. And uh, another number from High Society was done by the Muppets on the Billy Crystal episode of Muppets Tonight, where they do the song, Now He Has Jazz. And Billy Crystal, of course, also an impressionist, but a much better one. The last piece of this medley starts well, but it goes off the rails pretty quickly. Met at nine. We met at eight. I was on time. Uh, no, you were late. Hmm. Ah, yes. I remember it well. Mm-hmm. We dined with friends. We dined alone. A tenor sang. A baritone. <laughs> Remember it well. Yeah, that's not as uh, ha, 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 as I remember it being. Like it, it the the audio d- divorced from the the visual is 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 okay. Also uh, on audio, you don't have to watch the extensive makeout session. That 
that they have at the mm. end of this number. This is true. It's really upsetting. Yeah, this is I remember it well from Gigi, uh, which is a, a learner in low musical that started out as a movie in 1958 and then later became a Broadway show. And it's a song that the Muppets have done a few times. Uh, Hermione Gingold and King Louis slash King Goshposh did it on the Mike Douglas show in 1966. And then Kermit and Cindy Crawford did it on Muppets Tonight later. A lot of Muppets Tonight connections tonight. <laughs> that's a that's a fun surprise i'm glad we had one fun surprise today yeah i don't need to talk anymore about them making out that was just yeah. upsetting <laughs> never mind that jazz listen turkey what and get out of show business we we have begun to suffer through some of rich little's impressions we're gonna suffer through a little bit more um we'll stop when we get angry i guess all right here is a clip from rich little doing some impressions on the Muppet Show. Hey, look, I'm down here pretending to be a bear. They're up there pretending to be alive. <laughs> Very good. Yeah, but watch it, Rich. You'll blow the impression by being funny. <laughs> you mean you're not impressed with these impressions? Was that you or him? I couldn't tell. This guy's good. No, they... he's not. He's terrible. So... I totally forgot we had a whole more a whole other segment of this fucking show to talk about. With him. <laughs> no, yeah, that's the thing. I just like went into a fugue state and came out of it. I was like, wait, what? Why aren't we saying goodbye? <laughs> uh huh. Uh huh. Well, there's there's more fucking rich little to talk about. We'll go fast. We'll- All right, we're gonna breeze through this. Except that I'm really upset about it, <laughs> so we might have to linger for a moment because they keep going on about how good he is. And, and then they linger on even more when he's impersonating Muppets and they talk about how he's so funny as Fozzie. And the thing is, this is, I mean, I, I didn't recognize every single impression that he did um, over the course of this episode, but I can tell that he's supposed to be Fozzie and I can tell that it is nothing like Fozzie other than he has a hat. And I guess he needed the <laughs> hat because the impression was not getting him anywhere close and he holds himself so stiffly when he's supposed to be Fozzie but Fozzie isn't anything like that and perhaps I wondered if he had confused the Muppets with ventriloquist dummy Charlie McCarthy because there's no other explanation for why he's holding his hands at his sides the way that he does clearly he has not you know taken the time to study how fluidly and subtly Frank Oz puppeteers and how much expression Frank Oz works into all of the tiny movements that his characters do. It, I just got really upset about it. Has he watched Frank Oz do anything ever? Has he watched Fozzie Bear? I don't think he has. Well, and Fozzie is right there. Like, it does him no favors to have him have a conversation. This is the thing that he did. Like, he went on Carson and, like, did Carson with Carson. But, like, I, I guess his Carson is better than his Fozzie. That's a low bar. I don't know. It's so... It is so not helpful to have him have a conversation with the Muppet he's impersonating. Yeah. And then they, he does a Kermit impression. They bring on Kermit and it, it's it's not working, man. There is a running gag that like Fozzie doesn't know who he's doing. And then it, in the next scene, the next big rich little scene that happens again, like where the reporters are like, like keep giving him shit for, for being bad, even even while they keep talking about how good he is, which is confusing. But like, I don't know. It's weird. I don't like it. Okay, so do you think I don't is there a is there a term for like the Studio 60 problem 
where you're you're talking about <laughs> the studio 60 problem is it i mean i tried to look at look it up on tv tropes but then i just got lost in tv tropes so that got me nowhere but the problem where you know you have an act that you're making a show about and you have to talk about how great your act is or how funny your comedian or how great your singer is and then when you have to show them doing their thing they have to live up to the hype of like oh we've got a singer who's the best singer in the world and the we, banana sketch we, yeah we've got the banana sketch we've got rich little the banana sketch conundrum i like that better than the studio 60 problem but the, yeah the banana sketch conundrum here is that they keep talking about how great rich little is and then they keep undermining themselves by bringing on the Muppets that he's impersonating. No, no, no. They undermine themselves by bringing on Rich Little. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but the problem is that like, that the, the banana sketch conundrum is about a fictional thing, right? Like, and it's funny because you never see the banana sketch. Right. Or, and then it's a problem on Studio 60 because like, right, you can't talk about how great your comedy show is when, when your comedy show is actually bad, when it's fictional. Like, you then have to create the great comedy show that you have built up but like rich little actually is successful at this out in the world somehow and he's a guest on this on this variety show so like they're not lying somehow because he has a career i don't i don't know so part of me thinks that his impressions of the muppets are worse than his other impressions because he hasn't had as much time to develop them and maybe you know, if he'd worked on them for a few years, they would get better. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, one of the clips I found fully by accident was uh, he he does Kermit in it, and it's it's from the 80s, and it's just as bad. So My takeaway here is that anyone who's ever complained about the voices on recast Muppets should be forced to like just sit through this sketch over and over and over again to know what it could have been. <laughs> what if they had brought in Rich Little to dub a few lines in the Muppet movie? <laughs> right? <laughs> no! Also... Rich Little kind of looks like Steve Martin's dirtbag cousin. Yes. <laughs> yes, he does. And so like every so often I would have like a rage blackout and then I'd wake up and be like, oh, it's Steve Martin. I love. No, it's not. Go away. <laughs> and then I'd blackout all over again. Because <laughs> I love Steve Martin. We'll get there someday. But I love in Steve a few Martin. episodes. Yeah. Meanwhile, at the dance, Animal's dance partner has been holding him too tightly. And then Miss Piggy punches him. And the joke is that Animal is trying to get medical attention. And it's actually really stressful. What's the quickest way out of here? Through the roof! (laughs) (laughs) I do like that sound effect. Yeah. What do we think happened at the dance this season? Well, there's a whole new set of writers. Well, I know. But they're funny in other places. At the Dance is so tailored to, like, the Jack Burns old-school style of variety show. That's true. Which, uh, you know, it is and it isn't. It's actually, it's very much like a ripoff of Laughing. So, like, I don't, I don't know. I got nothing. Okay. <laughs> it makes me sad, because I love At the Dance, and I get happy every time it starts, and I'm like, oh. Yeah, I love At the Dance also, and this time, everybody gets to punch Animal. It had a couple of nice moments, though, like, the whole thing where where animal cuts in on piggy was kind of cool puppetry. Like, Oh yeah. Yeah. And did Uh, did you try to place which one was Frank Oz? Yeah. I assume that Frank was doing both piggy and animal and either piggy's other date had no one in it or was like a third hand from someone else. That sounds needlessly tricky, but you know, it's possible. I also appreciated that this week, 
we had a lot of new Muppets in at the dance. So even though the jokes weren't good, like there were some, some new faces, literally some new shapes of faces too. Like they, uh, a bunch of the human Muppets had these like vaguely beak shaped faces, which I sort of like the lady Clifford beak I thing think, or the yeah, like raggly beak thing. More like Clifford. They, they remind me of the, um, Oh, I can't believe I'm going to say his name wrong, but like the character that's based on Howard Cosell. Louis Kazagger. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's what I was noticing in those in the in the singers from the beginning of the episode too, right? They have the sort of beaky, or one of them does has a sort of beaky face. And one of them has yeah. a smaller mouth. Yeah, yeah, I like that too. All that is to say, yeah, we're we're getting new and more varied whatnots, and I I was kind of relieved to look at the credits and see that there was just a much longer list of Muppet builders, and you know. Ideally, they didn't have to put in any all-nighters or Dave Goals didn't have to work two jobs yeah, for there to be new the, Muppets. This came up in the Muppet Morsels on the season one DVDs that there were, um, if I remember correctly, it was there were four people in the workshop in London in season one and 12 in season two. And 12 still does not seem like that many, but they did, you know, triple the size of the staff. Yeah. So, so new whatnots, good for them. And somehow we've got even more rich little impressions to talk about. There is a, a sketch that happens outside the stage door, which, so it's kind of cool to see this set. It's a group of reporters interviewing rich little. Um, he does his Cary Grant impression, or maybe it's his Burt Lancaster impression, but either way, um, Mildred can't handle it. Oh, I just love Burt Lancaster. I thought I was doing Cary Grant. I know, but I just love Burt Lancaster. Ha, 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 ha. Very kind, miss. Very kind. Perhaps after this interview, we could go out together, have a little champagne supper. Ha, 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 ha. Oh, I think I'm going to faint. <laughs> Why do you think she faints? <laughs> I don't know. I, it's not because the Burt Lancaster <laughs> impression is appealing. All right, was um, that Burt Lancaster or was that still Cary Grant? I, nobody I knows. Was, I don't know. Is that That's why Burt she Lancaster fainted. Like? Her brain broke trying to figure it out. I don't know what I Burt Lancaster sounds like. I'm so confused. I had the um, closed captioning on for just a, a piece of this because I was making a, a GIF where I wanted the text on and it identified one of these impressions as Vincent Price. And like the caption could be wrong, but I definitely thought it was Paul Lind. Yeah. Same. I had okay. the same reaction. Okay. So maybe it was Paul Lind. Who knows? I don't know. I, I did really like the set. It's really cute. There's posters for very, like for Marvin Suggs and for like Miss Piggy in, I want to say the fairy queen. Um, we'll put a picture of it in the show notes. It's just, it was a really nice set and some really nice detail on it. Yeah, it's neat the, to see. What the back of the Muppet, the Muppet Theater might look like. Yeah, and, and it's Was this the see. same set where Twiggy did her press conference? I don't think yeah. so. Was it? No, no, but I I, uh, I had a, a similar thought. I mean, the first time I watched this, I lived in fear that this was a cue for a song. For an in memoriam. Like, was, <laughs> what about the places? <laughs> my, my favorite song cue in the history of song cues <laughs> it's so artless i did find it really weird that mildred was there as a reporter all of a sudden i mean Always i found it really her. weird that mildred suddenly has a new lady voice yeah 
I'm not opposed I don't care for to, it. well, I'm not opposed to women puppets, you know, being performed by women puppeteers and not opposed to uh, hearing Louise Gold here, who she, this is part of her audition for the opening of singular lady Muppet performer. And she will uh, land the part and she'll even get a screen credit in the third season. Um, but yeah, it is strange um, to, to hear Mildred with a new voice, but I, I appreciate the effort. It's also like the fifth voice that we've heard for Mildred at this point. Right, right. Yeah. If Mildred deserves better. This also introduces uh, another character who they try to make a thing and then give up, which is Fleet Scribbler, who's that other reporter with the Jerry Nelson voice in the front. And who is ragging on Rich Little's impressions, saying that his Cary Grant needs more work. So, you know, Accurate. thanks Fleet Scribbler for being the every audience member. But yeah, I can see why Fleet Scribbler did not reach the heights that they had hoped for him. Well, it sort of seems like you don't need both a Fleet Scribbler and a Muppet Newsman. <laughs> like, How many different reporter characters do we need for one variety show? Unless they're competing. That could be the, the spinoff fanfic that you write. Uh, no, it can't. <laughs> Rivals to lovers. <laughs> All right, now I'm interested. <laughs> <laughs> Fanfic, maybe. Slashfic, we don't need that. Do we? Yeah, you can get quite an education watching this show. I mean, I guess we got to talk about Veterinarian's Hospital. That I usually I love Veterinarian's Hospital, and it's a, a venue for all of these one-liners that I love. And today, it, it seems like somebody just gave up on trying to make the one-liners funny. So Fozzie is the patient and somehow this leads to a bunch of bear and horse jokes that are rather a stretch, even for Vets Hospital. What seems to be his trouble? He's a little horse. I thought you said he was a bear. That's very funny, Dr. Bob. Yes, it is a little weird. Usually you call a small horse a colt. <laughs> but that's why he's a little horse. He's got a colt in the head. Oh, <laughs> wow. Hey, in that case, we must try to stabilize his condition. Oh, wow. How do we do that? Put him in the stable. Dr. Bob, even if he is a horse, should you be using a saw? What's the matter? You never heard of a saw horse? <laughs> Yeah, so there are at least a dozen, at least slightly funnier directions that that joke could have gone, uh, such as, hey, Dr. Bob, you ever saw a bear before? No, but I saw a horse once. There you go. And I, I, if they had been trying even a little bit, we could have written into some herd of cows jokes, which. <laughs> You're not wrong, but I liked it. Yeah. Maybe it's just that the bar was set so low by the time we get to the hospital. It really felt like they just forgot to try because like, they were puns. so sick of this episode. Yay, puns. I mean, I'm, you know me. <laughs> Not above laughing at uh, low-hanging fruit, but this wasn't that. No Muppet has ever sounded more like a drag queen to me than Janice does. Oh, I thought she sounded finally, you know, starting to inch towards being herself here oh no she does i don't know there's something about her tone i'm not complaining it's just, <laughs> just she really sounded like a like a modern drag queen to me in this all right instead of the hippie vibe i usually get from her i'm all into right. it <laughs> groovy that can be your fanfic <laughs> exactly
I just looked it up. There is no Fleet Scribbler fanfic on AO3. Astonishing. Get to it. Are you surprised? <laughs> yes, I'm always surprised when there's like nothing about a character from a major Is there Newsman universe fanfic? Uh yes. Oh no. There are two. One called The Teen Titans Play the Muppet Show. <laughs> Wait, is you are all weirdos? Newsman slash Sam? Uh, neither of these are slash. These are just fanfic. Okay. I assume because both say no archive warnings apply, which means that they're, you know, clean. Okay. <laughs> You're all weirdos <laughs> is more than 10,000 words long and has 18 chapters. Nope. Bless. I... Mm. I mean, if whoever wrote that is listening, I mean, no offense by nope. I just don't have time, but I wish you well. <laughs> yeah, send me the TLDR. I mean, if anybody's, if anybody is deep enough in the Muppet world and wants to write a Fleet Scribbler fanfic, you know, good for them. Thank you. I appreciate the encouragement. Yeah. Deep enough in the Muppet <laughs> world to know who Fleet Scribbler is. I think that's why there isn't any Fleet Scribbler fic, because... It it takes a specific level of Muppet knowledge, I think. I will admit, prior to watching this episode, I had totally forgotten about Fleet Scribbler until Ryan Rowe mentioned him specifically to me in a tweet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm vaguely aware of his existence, but also I don't think about him very often. It's a very porn star name. Well, that's all about to change. <laughs> <laughs> Well, we know what you're doing with your next few months. Oddly enough, on his sex tape, Rich Little was impersonating Fleet Scribbler. <laughs> Saying that his wife's Cary Grant impression. <sighs> I guess before we go, I will give the Of It's Time award to just the idea of impressions and impersonations as a thing, as a career, as a vocation. Thanks for listening to this episode of Muppeturgy. We'll be back next week to discuss the Judy Collins episode. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Muppeturgy or on the web at Muppeturgy.com. Please spread the word and offer a rating or review wherever you get your podcasts or just tell a friend. Our theme music was composed and performed by Christy Bauer. Our show logo was created by Todd Brian Backus. And this episode was edited by me, David Levy. I also just want to point out that while now we understand that Gonzo is a queer icon, I think it's pretty radical for 1977 that um, this is a male chicken who who is named Lolita. We know right? this because... Because it's a rooster? It's got a thing on its head? Don't only roosters have isn't, things Isn't that how head? chickens work? Am I... I don't know how chickens work. Chickens work, you put them in the oven at 450 for an hour and they're delicious. <laughs> you, you, pound you pound them, them and then you... <laughs> there you go. <laughs> no, 2020 was the year of pounding chicken. That year is over. Oh, okay.